1 Samuel chapter 25. Let me get this turned on. First Samuel chapter 25, and tonight this is a little bit of an unconventional message, and if you notice, I think all but one of the messages we've heard this week have been out of the Old Testament, which is exciting that God's mission is all over our Bible, and in First Samuel chapter 25, if you know a little bit about your Bible, you know this is the story of Abigail. And what does this really have to do with missions? I don't know. The Lord put it on my heart about a month ago and just kept cultivating some thoughts and some different things. And I'd like to preach tonight what he's given to me. If you'd stand with me, we're going to read a couple verses here and then we'll pray. We don't usually use stories about women uh, in the Bible to convey missions. Uh, but this is what the Lord's led on my heart. And if you go with me in, in verse First uh, Samuel chapter 25. We see the death of Samuel there in verse 1, and in verse 2, the Bible says, And there was a man in, in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the ma- name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Then David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, and David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Jump to verse 9. And when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered, David's servants said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There, there, there be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. What he's saying is, my king is King Saul, and I don't know who you are, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Verse 11, he says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears, and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David, young, David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all the sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, and 200 abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were, as, as long as we were conversant with them when they were, when they were in the fields. They were, all, they were a wall unto us, both, both by day and night, and, we will, and, and, and while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for the great messages that we've heard, Lord. I, continue, I pray you continue to work in the hearts of the church and the people here, God. They've already um, just, we just already have had such a great week, and I pray you would continue that tonight. Lord, help me to glorify and honor you above all things this evening. Thank you for what you've done for us, and help us to consider that as we go to serve you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. You can be seated, amen. I want to preach tonight on the thought in verse 17. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou wilt do. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou wilt do. 
So if you don't know the whole story, David gets his men and he's riding into town and he's ready to take care of some business. He's going to take Nabal and his entire house there and they're going to destroy them because they have totally turned their backs on the real king of Israel. And so he's going to go take care of some business and he's going to go and he's going to fight these men. But one of the young men we read about in verse 14 and 15 told Abigail, the wife, about what is happening and what is coming and Abigail is, just makes the decision that she needs to hurry, and we'll, we'll, read, we'll read it eventually, but if you look in verse 18, she gets a whole bunch of different kind of grocery items, pantry items, all that she can collect, gets a bunch of men, and they go down and they meet David. And she humbles herself before David, and she almost uh, tells David, kind of just tells him straight up, what you're doing, what you're about to do is wrong. And God will take care of the things he wants to take care of. And I beg you and I ask for you to just wait for the Lord to, do, to make his own decision about this. And when David saw her kindness, of course, he uh, w- w- realized she was right. She was correct. And he was happy with her that she had done this. And um, after they go back, uh, Abigail goes to her husband, tells him what she's done. He kind of goes into like a shock, state of shock. And 10 days later, he dies, passes away. And so the Lord did take care of what he was going to take care of. And a few, a few days later, David sends some messengers and gets Abigail and asks, him, asks her to be his wife. And so we see Abigail there with David throughout his kingdom there. And what a great, great story we have here. But I want to show you a few things, like we said in verse 17. Abigail has been given some information here, some very, very important information. And notice that Abigail's not a king. She's not the head of the house here. She's not a lord. She doesn't have a lot of power. You would think that Abigail, because she's married to a mighty man with a lot of money, you would think maybe she has some pull. But some of the history that I've read here that most likely this was an arranged marriage. And most likely Abigail is a servant in her own home. This is not a happy marriage. This is not something that she wanted. Nabal is not really a good man to be around and not a great guy. So she's probably very unhappy in her life. But you know, she doesn't have any special abilities, and many of us can say the same thing tonight. Hopefully you're happy in your husband. That's not what the point I'm trying to make. But many of us in here, are not, we're not, sadly, we're not married to money, right? Some of us maybe are, but we're not married to kings. We're not married to the great men or the mayor or the president. You guys understand the point that I'm trying to make. Many of us tonight are just average, everyday Christians, right? We're just the average people, but it's those Christians that the Lord can use to turn the world upside down. He just took a few people, a few men in the books of Acts and women there in the book of Acts, and we see by the time we get to the end of Acts that those, pe- those men and women turned the world upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to preach to you a little bit about therefore know and consider. We know now. We've heard the messages. We've seen the videos. We've seen the missionaries speak. We've seen the work that needs to be done. We now have knowledge of what needs to be done, and now it's time to consider what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? First of all, tonight I've got three, three things I'd like for us to consider. First of all, if you look in verse 17, he says, Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. First of all, tonight, church, consider that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. We have a God that is a great God and a God of grace, but soon he will no longer be that God. He'll be the God of judgment. Death is on its way. 
Jesus Christ is coming back soon and death is on its way. The question Abigail had to ask herself is, what can I do about this? What, about, what am I going to do? And am I going to let these people be destroyed or am I going to try to make a difference? The king is coming to destroy the house and she knew she had to act now. Tonight, church, hopefully we understand that the king is coming. Jesus Christ is coming back to, to take his own. And those, some will be left behind and we'll see that eventually he will come back again and he will take this earth as his own, destroy it and create a new heaven and a new earth. But understand that he is coming as the judge. He is coming as the judge. You know, there's a story of a young man who was drinking heavily one afternoon and decided he wanted to go for a swim on a California beach. And there was an older man out there on the beach as well, just the two men. And he's kind of keeping his eye on this guy because he knew he was drinking. And so uh, that young guy goes out to the ocean and starts to swim. And after a few minutes, he doesn't come back up for air. And the older man realizes what's going on, runs into the water, swims after him, takes him out, drags him out of the water, gets the water out of his lungs and saves the man's life. Gets him there, gets him home, and just literally saves the man's life. Years go on, years go past, and... That same young man finds himself in court facing some drug charges, and he's there in trouble again. And so as he's sitting there, he looks up and sees the judge there and recognizes who the man is. And as he gets up to stand before the judge, he says, Judge, Judge, do you remember me? A few years back, you saved my life. You pulled me out of the water. I was about to die, and you literally saved me. If it wasn't for you, I'd be dead today. Is there any way you could have any mercy on me because we know each other? You've helped me once. Can you help me again? And the judge looked at him and said, sir, I want you to understand, I do remember you, I see you. And on that day, I was your savior. But today, I'm your judge. Today, I'm your judge. And there's going to be many, many in this world who will stand before God and say, look at all the things that I've done. We know each other. Everything's fine. But he said, you have never believed on the name of my son. You have never believed on the name of my son. Now, many of those people We've got to ask ourselves, did they even have an opportunity to hear? Did they even have an opportunity to hear the gospel? Will they be confused when they stand before God not having any idea what he's talking about? Because nobody was bold enough to go tell them. Church judgment is coming, but while we are here on earth, we are here to warn the world and understand the gospel is only good news to those who hear it. Gospel is only good news to those who hear it. In the Bible, we may not know exactly what Abigail's thoughts are. We don't have them written down, but I think we can infer. And I bet Abigail felt felt a lot like the way we feel when it comes to such a huge task like missions. What difference can I really make? What difference can I really make? And what am I supposed to do about this major problem? You know, when you get to the field... Of course, you want to start helping as many people as you can. You start getting out the gospel. And I, I, went, I wish I could take all of you with me and walk down the street right there in Motherwell. We're talking about thousands of people out on the street. They don't have jobs. 50% of them don't have jobs. Many of them uh, don't, they don't have like TV in their house. So they, uh, many closer people, they just spend time on the street. That's what they do all day long. They just walk around. It, it's funny because I'll go into town and say, what did you do today? And they say, ah, nothing. We just... We're just sitting, 
And then after, after time, I realized, oh, they're right. They literally just sat here all day long. That's all they did. They literally just sat here. And so uh, these people are walking around. And as, as I see more and meet more and knock on more doors and more and more and more, just like that video you showed us, brother, as we zoomed out on that street corner, people and people and people and people and people. It becomes overwhelming. What am I supposed to do? Just like Abigail thought, what am I supposed to do? But some, many times, the, 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 the difference between Abigail, the difference between Abigail and us at times, is that she decided that she can't, she, she said, I can't just sit on my hands. I can't just put my head in the sand and let this happen. You know, I may die, I may, David may just kill me when I see him, but I'm going to die if I stay here too, so I might as well try to do something. I might as well try to do something. Are we walking around with our heads buried tonight? walking around focused on what we have to do next and choosing not to think about those who are dying and going to hell. We all have spouses. Most of us have spouses. Most of us have children. Most of us have jobs and careers. We've got causes. We've got things that we have going on. But the king is coming, and his concerns should trump our concerns. His will should trump our will. And Mark 16, 15 tells us exactly what his will is, and that's to go. That's to go. First of all, the night church, I said the judge, that judgment is coming. Second of all, we must consider that the justified can help. The justified can help. The saved man, the saved woman, the Christian can make a difference and can help. Look in verse 18. It says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. In verses 18 through 21, we see here that she was married to a rich man and she had a lot at her, at her disposal. But the point here, I believe, is that she used what she had to make a difference. She used what she had to make a difference. Everyone has something that we can do to help get the gospel sent around the world. As the pastor has said multiple times this week, maybe you're not called to missions. Most people will not be called into missions. But the, but the job still has to be done. Men still have to be sent. Gospel still has to be preached. She could have thought to herself, I'm just a wife and I'm just a woman. And my husband has made his bed and it's time for him to lay in it. Right? She could have thought that. Well, all of us, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have looked at her or been upset with her at all. Her husband did wrong. You know, a lot of times, uh, let me tell you this story first. When we were in language school, we had a helper. Her name was Mama Noxie. And in the Kosa culture, any woman who's older than you with children, she's a mama. So you always refer, it's like, kind of like, yes, ma'am. You say mama. So Mama Zukanye or, or Mama Megan. Her name is Mama Nokolo. And then we had Mama Noxie. So Mama Noxie came and she helped watch our kids while we were in language school, about a, almost a 50 year old woman. And she would come in, we would go to language school. The older two went to, went to a, a public school in the area or a, priv, a private Christian school in the area. In South Africa, Christian means a lot that it does here. It doesn't really mean anything. But anyway, they went to a Christian school, and um, Mama Noxie helped with mercy. She, she was growing up at the time. 
And so, uh, of course, when you get there, you know cultures are going to be different. Of course, the language is different, and we would use her to practice language as well. And I noticed with Mama Noxie that when Mercy would start to be real naughty, you know, in my culture, I'd want to jerk her up and jerk her up by her tail and give her a whooping, right? That's a good Mississippi language. You're about to get a whooping, right? That's what I want to do. But Mama Noxie did something much different. She, she didn't tell on Mercy, she didn't like come to tell me how naughty she was or anything like that. When Mercy got real naughty, what Mama Noxie would do is she would take out a sucker. They call them stokies. And she would take a stokie, a little sucker, and give it to Mercy or a piece of candy that she had in her purse and give to Mercy to keep her from crying or to keep her from being real naughty. And, you know, initially I thought, that was really strange. And that seems like a cop-out to me, you know. Like that's not how we should do this. And that's definitely not what I'm going to start doing. But... As time got on and I met more and more people, I realized this was very common. Mothers in South Africa, if their children are being real naughty, now they do discipline, they do whoop their kids. I'm not trying to say that, but if they get real naughty at certain times, I've even seen them take money out of their own wallet and give to kids that are being real naughty to keep them just to calm down, just to quickly try to get them to calm down before they do something they shouldn't do, right? You know, I think to myself, that's wrong, you know, and this morning in, in uh, Bible, uh, uh, Bible Chapel, even Pastor Heath, one of, the, one of the kids was talking, and he right there called him out and said, hey, boys, sit up straight, right? That's initially what we do as Americans. But that's not, that's not the South African way. That's not their culture. And you know, as I begin to think about that, and I begin to wonder about that, you know, what, as a missionary, sometimes you want to go in and you want to like change culture because you don't think it's right. When all actuality, we're not there to change culture. We're there just to preach the gospel. Amen. But as I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, that Christ is a lot like the Kosa Mama. You know, in a time where I needed and I deserved, just like Nabal, I deserved wrath. You know what he did? He gave me grace. At the time where I needed, I deserved to die and spend eternity in hell. You know what he did? He died on the cross and paid that price for me. That's exactly what Christ did for me, and that's what he did for you. I want you to think about that tonight, how Christ deals with us and how he's the grace giver. We already talked about how he will be the judge, but right now he's the grace giver. And when you see sinners and when I see sinners, what, what does our culture teach us about that? You know, there was a time in American culture where we were, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it, we were anti-Muslim. Even now, and there are times where we, and don't get me wrong, I am against the Islam religion, but I'm talking about anti-people almost, right? Whether it be 9-11 or different things that we saw in the past, our army going over there to fight and different things, and of course I'm an American, I understand that. But how do we see those brown people? Do we see them as people who are going to get what they deserve? Or do we see them as lost sinners dying and on their way to hell? You know, when Mallory was born, she was like the greatest thing ever. Right, Brother Brown? You're about to have your third one. You got another one coming on the way. And when Mallory was born, me and Megan were like, this is the greatest baby ever to be born. And as we went to church and paraded her around, I was really upset because not everybody was excited about it that I was. (laughs) Right? Not everybody saw how great that she was and how precious she was as an infant baby. They were more worried about their children, right? And I thought, how strange is this? But, you know, nobody, nobody, nobody loves Mallory like me and Megan love Mallory, right? 
And, and nobody loves your children like you love your children, right? But just as much as I want Avit and Silas and Mercy and Mally to spend their lives in service to the Lord, and I want it bad. I want that bad. I pray every single day about that, right? As you do for your child. But as much as I want them to be saved and to live a life for the Lord, what about the lost person? What about the black guy in Africa? What about the brown man who's bowing and training to kill Americans? What about the, the Hindu man who doesn't like Americans and doesn't care about them? Do we care about them just as much as we care about our own children? Because we're commanded to. We're told to. How do we see sinners tonight? How do we see Russians? How do we see Indians? How do we see Africans? They may be lost now, but if we continue, they can have an opportunity to clearly hear the gospel. Do we see them as people who deserve hell, or do we see them just like Christ saw us, people who can accept Christ and, be, and, be, and have salvation? Because that's how he sees them. That's how he sees them. In missions, it will only be done by the reached. The reached must go to the unreached. That's the only way it can be done. First of all, I ask you to know and consider that judgment is coming. Second of all, know and consider that the justified can help, the Christian can help. Thirdly, the night church. Lastly, I want you to understand that the judge is worthy. The judge is worthy. Look in verse 23 and 24. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off her ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thy handmaid. Abigail knew who needed to be glorified in her life. She knew who she needed to run to. Not her husband, not Saul, but the king. The king. God selected king. That's who she knew she needed to glorify. And she made it clear she was serious about the needs of the king. David asked a simple request from Nabal. This was not something that Nabal couldn't do. Um, he dishonored the king when he said no. We were talking about uh, Indian culture and even, Brother AJ, we were talking about culture over there and where you were in the Middle East, with Afghanistan, Iraq, where were you? Afghanistan, the culture over there is much different. But understand that this is highly offensive, what Nabal has said to David. David and his men have been out there, even if he doesn't believe that David's the king, it, it still doesn't negate the fact that David and his men have been out there protecting all of those farms all summer long up until the harvest. And so because they've been fighting and literally killing Philistines at this time, it's, it's nothing for David to go back and ask for Nabal or even his neighbors for some meat and for a place to stay that night. That is a very simple request. It's a very easy thing, and Nabal should have had no problem with that. But the, and this was not something that Nabal couldn't do, but he dishonored the king when he said no. Just a simple request from David. And tonight, church, our king has just made a simple request from us. And it's to go. Get the gospel around the world. Abigail was more concerned about the king's needs than when she was concerned about her husband's needs. She was more concerned about the king's needs than she was even concerned about her own needs. 1 Samuel 12, 24, I taught that this morning. I'll turn there. You don't have to read it, or you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. I taught this this morning in, um, in chapel. But 1 Samuel 12, 24, this is my life verse. And the Bible says here in this chapter, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. 
For consider how great things he hath done for you. That verse is saying, Samuel's trying to get the people to understand, if you'll just realize what God has done for you, and you fear him more than you fear anything else, then what else are we supposed to do with our life but to serve him? That's, that's the verse that God used in my life to get me back in service to him. You know, after all that God's done for me, raised me up in a good home, in a good church, saved me at six years old, helped me, gave me a great pastor, great men to be around and to learn from, and we could go all night long about what God's done for me. Hopefully you could too about what God's done for you. Who am I to sit there and look at God and say, after all you've done for me, no. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. It's a simple request that we do what he's asked us to do, and that's to go. Megan and I have always said to each other, if every Christian, which I know this is impossible, but it would be great if we could do this, if every Christian in the world took a missions trip and spent maybe two to three weeks, maybe even a month on a foreign mission field, we would have no issue getting missionaries to the world. We'd have no problem. It wouldn't take two to three to four years to get a missionary to the field. It would take a few months. Because your eye affects your heart. Hopefully you've, hopefully you've seen tonight through the videos and through the men that have spoke. Hopefully you have seen the need that we, were, that we were preached about. Hopefully you have seen that. Being on the mission field and seeing lost people, it also makes us quicker to serve the Lord. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Look in verse 18. He says, then Abigail made haste. In verse 23 it says, and when Abigail saw David, she hasted. Abigail was in a hurry to get to the king. She was in a hurry to get the job done. She didn't drag her feet. She didn't waste time because she couldn't waste time. If she had waited even just a few more hours than she had already taken her time to prepare, they would have totally been destroyed. And if you think about it in God's timeline, we just have a few more hours before he comes back. We just got a few more hours, so maybe it's your time that you're called home. We just have a little bit of time that we've got to get the message spread around the world. Are we going to haste or are we going to waste the time that God's given us? If she waits too long, it's going to be too late. And it's the same for us tonight, church. If we wait too long, it's going to be too late. Turn with me to verse 38 and to verse 40. As I conclude here, I want to give you this little point. It says, and it came to pass about 10 days after, uh, you can read this for yourself, but I, I already kind of told you the story here, that the Lord smote Nabal and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. Wow. I hope they don't say that about me or about you when we pass away. <laughs> blessed be the Lord. Uh, here, here in verse 30, what verse am I in? 39. And blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head, and David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. As I conclude, I thought to myself, Pastor, Abigail did the job that she did, and now she gets to live happily ever after, right? Just like, just like a Disney story. She gets to live happily ever after with her husband. But as I put a little bit more thought into this and read a little bit more about this, I want you to understand something. 
That's not, that's not the case at all in the life of Abigail. Understand and remember that David is not the king yet. He is the king. He's been anointed king by Samuel and God, but he's not sitting on the throne. David's not, part, it's not party time now. It's not celebration time now. He's literally trying to not be killed by the king, Saul. He's with his army and his men that trust in him, and he's, that's why he's out there in those fields fighting. He's not sitting on the throne as king in robes and in glory with all the servants around him. No. Understand that when Abigail decided to marry David, she was marrying into more sacrifice, believing that one day she would reign with David as king. Just like us tonight, church, when we begin to serve God with our life, what we're honestly doing is we're, we're just fixing ourselves with Christ. And I don't know if you ever read the Gospels, but his life here on earth was not that great. It's full sacrifice. He was not the king. He was the king, but he wasn't the king. And he lived the life of sacrifice here on this earth. And when we affix ourselves and join ourselves to the work of Jesus Christ, we must be willing now to sacrifice with him, believing that soon we will reign with him. Amen? Soon we will reign with him, but now is the time to work for him. Now is the time to sacrifice for him. Judgment is coming. The justified can help, and the judge is worthy. The judge is worthy tonight. Let's, let's pray.